This is the Equip Podcast from Cornerstone Church of Ames, a podcast designed to help you live a gospel-fueled and faithful life wherever Jesus has called you. Welcome again to the Equip Podcast from Cornerstone Church. My name is Mark Vance. Glad to join you today. And here's the question we're going to wrestle with today. Are Christians sinners or saints? So when someone asks you, like, are you still a sinner when you come to Christ? There's all this language in the book of Romans and throughout the New Testament that talk about how we've been set free from sin, right? So are Christians still sinners? Like, is that how we're supposed to see ourselves? How do we answer that question? We, we know we died with Christ. Our old self was crucified with him. I mean, think of 2 Corinthians 5. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. Galatians 2, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer the old sinful me that lives, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. These New Testament texts seem to so dominantly emphasize, just like what we've been talking about in Cornerstone for several weeks in Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 7, that we have died to sin and been set free to serve in the new way of the Spirit. So are we sinners or saints? What do we do with the ongoing problem of sin in the life of those who have professed belief in Jesus when the New Testament seems to so clearly say that we are a new creation? How do we deal with that? Well, this in particular comes up for us because of the text of Romans that we've been walking through as a church. So I just taught on Romans chapter 7. Dr. Alex Tuckness, one of our elders, taught on Romans chapter 7, verses 14 and following. I just want to read those verses so we kind of feel a little bit of the tension. Romans seven fourteen says, We know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold as a slave under sin. For I do not understand what I am doing, because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that it is good. So it is no longer I who am doing it, but it is sin living in me. By the way, that language is almost an exact inverse of what Paul says um, in Galatians 2.20 where he says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Paul here says, when I do wrong, it's no longer I who does it, but sin that lives in me. For I know that nothing good lives in me, and Paul will define the me, quote-unquote, he's talking about, that is, in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there's no ability to do it. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. Now, if I do what I don't want, I am no longer the one who does it. But here comes that phrase again. It is sin that lives in me. So I discover this. When I want to do what is good, evil is present with me. For in my inner self, I delight in God's law. But I see a different law at work in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with my mind, I myself am serving the law of God, but with my flesh, the law of sin." 
Now, on Sunday services at Cornerstone, the first week of February, Dr. Alex Tuckness is going to really unpack this concept for us at a deeper level. But what I want to do is not so much look in depth at the text of Romans, but just ask this one question. When Paul is talking about all of this, how can a, this all be true of a Christian? Aren't we set free from all of this? How can Paul say you're still of the flesh, sold as a slave under sin? How can that still be? Okay. Well, there's a good uh, debate there. So I'm going to kind of summarize the two sides of it. I'll use some quotes from the ESV Study Bible that have helped me there. But then I'm going to actually just read a bunch of quotes from the writing of Jerry Bridges in his book, The Discipline of Grace, that I think can really help us in sorting through uh, whether a Christian is a sinner or a saint, and trying to help us understand how to see ourselves day in and day out as those who by faith have been made a new creation in Christ. Okay? So, the first thing to know is that the view of Romans 7, the most commonly held one, I'm going to quote here from the ESV Study Bible notes on this, says that beginning with the Reformation, but especially beginning with Augustine, The primary way that Christians have read this text is to see Paul's references as to believers. So, in other words, a believer is in view as the person who is stuck in a place with sin. Why? Well, Paul uses the present tense. He says, I am, not I was sold unto the flesh, but I am presently. Secondly, Unbelievers don't intensely desire to keep God's law. Paul says in verse 21, he delights to do what is right. He wants to do what is right. Third reason for that, there's a distinction that seems to happen in verse 18 between I and the flesh. So note that Paul says in verse 18, I know that nothing good lives in me, that is in my flesh. Okay, so Paul gives a part of us that is still us, tied to our physical corrupted body that is the flesh where sin resides. Fourthly, there's an ongoing reference of delight in God's law in verse 22. Fifth, deliverance from the sinful body is seen as future. This is important here. At the end of Romans 7, he says, what a wretched man I am who will rescue me from this body of death. And then he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our love. But he doesn't say who has rescued me from the body of death, but who will, future tense, rescue me from the body of death. That is reaffirmed in chapter 8, okay? If you look forward in Romans chapter 8, for instance, Paul says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 10, now if Christ is in you, the body is presently dead because of sin, but the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. That's a future tense. When will the spirit bring the mortal body fully to life? Well, that's in Romans 8, verse 20. The creation was subjected to futility in the hope that the creation itself will be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. Verse 22, we know the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption. That is the redemption of our bodies. The point there is to say, while we have been set free from sin's rule or sin's power in our life, deliverance from sin's presence in the body is a future event. 
in Pauline theology. And then it's future tense both in Romans 7 and Romans 8. So therefore, the tension between good and evil is a reality in the life of the Christian, because although we are already righteous in Christ, we are not yet perfected as we will be on the day of redemption. Okay, so that position says that Romans 7, the struggle ongoing with sin, is a struggle in the life of a believer presently, okay? There are others who will see a second position, and that second position is actually one not as widely held by evangelical scholars that Paul is referencing unbelievers here. Not believers, but unbelievers. And they'll say, well, the reason for that is if you look at the context, okay, the context Paul has been repeatedly in chapter 6, chapter 7, saying that we've already been set free from sin, that that has already happened. That was kind of the point of Romans chapter 6. Remember what Paul, what Saul taught, if you've been listening to Cornerstone sermons, he, he taught we're a new person with new power. That's not something that, uh, that's something that's already happened. So they say, okay, that, in that sense then, this seems like this is referencing Paul kind of talking about unbelievers, like hypothetically who he used to be before Jesus. Additionally, they say the point here is verse 14 seems really strong when you speak of a Christian. We know the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold as a slave under sin. That, that phrase, sold as a slave under sin, seems not to fit with Christians. To say they are captive is in tension with the triumph and freedom that we've experienced in Christ. And uh, so all of that leaves some to say that this section actually is explaining how the law was bringing death to Paul as an unbeliever, okay? So, that, that's the two positions. Now, let me kind of come back to the central question. Are Christians sinners or saints? Well, everyone agrees with this. No matter where you stand, that Christians will still struggle with sin at some points in their whole of their lives. See, Look at Galatians chapter 5, where Paul talks about how we have to put to death the deeds of the Spirit and contrast the deeds, or rather the deeds of the flesh, and contrast that with the work of the fruit of the Spirit. 1 John 1, 8 and 9, which says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, but if we say we have no sin, we make God a liar. So, no one in the broader Christian world is claiming that Christians are sinless in their entirety, or at least very, very few claim that, Okay. Christians, all, all people, what, whatever position you take on Romans 7, agree that Christians can and should grow in sanctification in their holiness through their lives by the power of the Spirit, okay? Those who hold, though, to the first position see this, this kind of ongoing struggle as an echo of the sort of cry of the heart of every believer in their struggle with sin. Basically, just simply seeing that when we when we say, oh, God, I, I wish, oh, set me free from sin, this is what a Christian feels like. I'm going to quote J.I. Packer here, where he describes Romans 7, to 14, 7, 14 to 25, as part of the Christian experience, not the ideal, but the real experience of it, okay? And what he says is, no one should want to live in this sort of way or settle to live in this sort of way where we feel the wretchedness of our sin, But the point is that when we do live this way, here's how a Christian responds, not with lying or hypocrisy or posing or perfectionism, no, 
not with a pasted smile or chipper superficiality, blindness to our failures, or quickness to judge others. Instead, we have honesty, candor, and humility like the Apostle Paul, who could say two things. I love the law of God, verse 22 of Romans 7. I joyfully agree with the law of God in my inner man, and I hate what I just did. I hate what I just did. I'm doing the very things I hate. That's what happens when a Christian encounters sin in their life. Okay. So that's a little backdrop on Romans 7, some kind of extended quotes there from the ESV Study Bible, where I do think the best way to read this is to say the person struggling with sin is a believer. But that doesn't quite answer the broader question that I'm asking today, which is, does that mean you should predominantly think of yourself as a sinner or a saint? I'm going to now quote from Jerry Bridges' incredible book, The Discipline of Grace. Pause and a little plug here. If you haven't read The Discipline of Grace, just simply go order it and read it. There is a period in my life where every year for probably 10 years, I reread the first six chapters of this book because I thought it was the purest I'd found, a teaching on the doctrine of grace available in print. You should get it. You should read it. You should underline things. You should reread it. Then you should get friends to read it out loud to you so that the gospel truth in this book echoes in your soul. It is so good. The Discipline of Grace by Jerry Bridges. He writes, answering this question, As Christians, should we view ourselves as sinners or saints? My answer is both. We are simultaneously saints and sinners. The Apostle Paul often referred to believers as saints, and that is what we really are. We are saints, not only in our standing before God, but in our essential persons as well. We really are new creations in Christ. That means a fundamental change has occurred in the depth of our being. The Holy Spirit has come to dwell within us. We have been freed from the dominion of sin, period. But despite this, we will still sin every day, even often many times a day. And in that sense, we are sinners. We should always view ourselves both in terms of what we are in Christ, that is, saints, and what we are in ourselves, namely, sinners, To help us understand this twofold view of ourselves, consider Jesus as an analogy. In his own person, he was sinless, but as our representative, he assumed our guilt. However, he never had any of the personal feelings associated with guilt. He was fully conscious of his own sinlessness, even when bearing our sins in the curse of our sins in our place. In like manner, while we should always rejoice in the righteousness we have in Christ, we should never cease to feel deeply our own sinfulness and consequent unworthiness. In other words, just as Christ could maintain a separate sense of personal sinlessness and his official bearing of our sin, we need to do the opposite. We must distinguish between the righteousness we have in Christ and the sinfulness that we see in ourselves. Now, I think that's so helpful. So are we sinners or saints? Well, we are a bit of both. So, how do we make sense of this language in the New Testament that talks about how we died to sin? Okay? I'm going to go and quote further from the Discipline of Grace. This is page number 70. Okay? When we talk about total depravity, we speak of a person who's outside of Christ. But that doesn't mean people are as wicked as they possibly could be, but that sin corrupts the entire person's being. All right? Now, 
Guilt and its penalty, its guilt consequence, are the source and ongoing cause of this depravity. Therefore, deliverance from guilt and its penal consequences brings deliverance from sin's dominion. Note that keyly. As a key, deliverance from sin's dominion. In God's plan of salvation, that deliverance is connected. There is no such thing as salvation from the penalty of sin without an accompanying deliverance from the dominion of sin. This does not mean we no longer sin, but that sin no longer reigns in our lives. I'm going to say that again. This does not mean that when we're saved, we no longer sin, but that sin no longer reigns. We have died, therefore, to what we could call the dominion of sin, is the way Bridges describes it. I'm going to kind of quote this. Because in Christ we died, we died not only to the legal consequences of our sin, but also to its corrupting dominion over us. Hallelujah! What a Savior we have who was able not only to set us free from sin's penalty, but also its dominion. Now, here is the key subject. The question arises, if we died to sin's dominion, why do we still struggle with sin in our daily lives? When Paul writes, we died to sin, how can we live any longer in it? He is not referring to the activity of committing a a sin, but of continuing to live under the dominion of sin. The word live means to continue in or abide. It connotes a settled course of life. As believers, then, we must distinguish between the activity of sin in our life, which is true of all who believe, and the dominion of sin, which is true of unbelievers. Oh, this is so important. Sinclair Ferguson has written, Sin is not primarily an activity of man's will so much as a captivity which man suffers from, an alien power that grips his soul. It's an axiom for John Owen, who Ferguson is summarizing his his teaching here, that while the presence of sin can never be abolished in this life, nor the influence of sin altered, its tendency is the same. The dominion of sin can, indeed it must be destroyed if a person is to be a Christian. We no longer live in the realm of sin under its reign and practical dominion. We have, in Paul's words then, died to sin. So as a Christian, a sinner or a saint, well, my answer is, The dominant way you should see yourself is the way that God sees you. You have died to sin. You are alive to God. You are in the Spirit, no longer in the flesh. You are no longer under the dominion of sin, which means you don't have to keep sinning. You can say no. By the power of the Spirit, you can put to death the deeds of the body and live But what we need to begin to do is in our lives, what is true of us in our legal standing with God, we are righteous in Christ. We are seated in the heavenly places. We are a son of the king. We need to make what is true of us in God's sight true more and more in our actual lives. In other words, our legal union with Christ needs to be expressed through our vital union with Christ, where we become, in fact, what we already are in status, to quote from Bridges. We must become, in the facts of our life, what we already are in the status of heaven. We need to bring into reality, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, because we live out what is true of us in Christ already, that we died to sin. So in a practical way, sinner or saint, which are you? 
Well, I don't think it's actually very helpful for Christians to dominantly think of themselves as sinners. I heard a friend of mine once say, look, Mark, all we are is just a bunch of sinners here. And I, like, I actually get the point of what he was saying. He was trying to say, we're not made more holy and righteous than our neighbors are just because we walk in the doors of a church. We still have a body contaminated by sin. We shouldn't look down on other people. But, but I do think when we use the words, all we are is just sinners, that's not actually true for someone who knows Jesus. I'm no longer just a sinner. I have the Holy Spirit within me. I've been set free from sin. I died to sin to now be alive to God through Jesus. So to say that all I am is a sinner, that seems to fall short of the teaching of the New Testament. So I don't think you should think of yourself as just a sinner, quote unquote. But on the opposite side of that, if you all you say is, I'm a saint, I'm a saint, I'm a saint, well, the people in your life are going to get a little confused when they look at your life and they still see the presence of sin. Because just like what Bridges cited, in this life, while sin can never be dispossessed, it can't be kicked entirely out of the body. Why? Well, because we're still waiting a future redemption of our body in full, where the corruption of sin that now taints us is completely freed. Oh, that day will be great, freed from sinning. We're not home. We're not in heaven yet. So while we are still in the body, while we are already a new creation in Jesus, we are living in a place of tension. Whereas a new creation person, I still have some old parts of me that haven't yet been redeemed. So I'm not just a sinner, but I'm also not just a saint. So I come back to how Bridges answered the question, are we a sinner or are we a saint? Well, we're both. And I think dominantly what you start out every day is you say, here's who I am now in Jesus. This is what the gospel speaks of me. The main way I see myself is the way that Jesus sees me. But in seeing myself as a saint, as one made holy in Jesus, I don't have to deny that I'm still living in a sin-cursed world, in a broken-down body. I haven't fully realized all the benefits of the salvation that Jesus has already purchased. One day they will be mine. And on that day, freed from sinning, we will see his face and we will rejoice in that. So, Christian, I think it is so helpful to be able to say out loud, I struggle with sin because I'm still a person in a body that's made of a corrupted, sinful flesh, and I will continue to struggle with sin. There will be times when I have to say with Paul, I'm not doing what I want. In fact, I've done some of the very things that I hate, that the sin that dwells within me began to take hold again. But if even though that is true, let's let that be our confession of honesty. Let's not that be the place where we settle. Let's not let that be the place where we stay. Instead, by the power of the Spirit who has given us life, let's experience the freedom that is ours in Christ Jesus. As saints who might sin, let's lean into the Spirit so that more and more and more the body and the sinful tendencies are weakened and we begin to more and more and more live out our true identity in Christ.